I do 40 things at once normally. He said, hey, okay, this is, I'm, this is Sister Prince, and I'm, uh, this is my second interview with Edna McKinney, and uh, um, it is uh, Wednesday, March 23rd, I believe, 24th. 23rd, and um, we only have an hour today. So, Edna, come out and tell me first, what is mother wit? You use that term. Well, I tell you, I learned that as a child. Everybody, the older people always said that. What they mean to me, it is just common sense, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, the way I was always taught was this way. Regardless of how many times you have your head in the book or whatever, or how many degrees you might get, you have to have Mother Wit along with it. Where did it come from? Do you know? No, I've always heard it. I don't know. It was just something that was said. But I hear it as I grow older. I hear it more and more, especially around here. Because there are more seniors here. Oh, yeah. Of course, I'm a senior, too. You know, we start early now, 55 yeah. and on, you know. Okay. But uh, all the people say, the older people always say, Mother wit, you find people with degrees, but, well, I've got a couple in my family. They can't do reason thinking, you know what I mean? Just common, ordinary things that you would think about to do, they say, oh, they don't know anything about that. But that they have a degree in their field, mm -hmm. you understand what I'm saying? Right. In their professional field. Another thing, um, you, you made, you just said one, you said St. Louis is strange, and I wondered if you if you could recall what you, how you feel St. Louis is strange. Well, I, I really shouldn't use the term strange. I call it laid back. I've done a lot of traveling, and I find that St. Louis is laid back as far as a lot of things, you know, theatrical, social-wise, other things that uh, where you go to places, they've, they've been doing this all along, and we're just coming into it. Well, a prime example might be the gambling. Of course, that doesn't interest me, but I'm just saying, uh, to me, I didn't think it would ever happen here, because it is the type of town that you would think would happen, you know, but it is. But however, uh, they're just, people seem to be more advanced in other things than in St. Louis. Like, what do you see in other cities that you think about? Oh, huh. Well, I mean, in traveling, sometimes you might uh, mention certain things, or they might mention certain things. You say, oh, don't, don't do that, San Luis. I oh, no. They say it's a hick town. Have you ever heard of that? Sure. Okay, that's what I mean. Well, how about uh, what you see in other cities compared to St. Louis as far as uh, relations between blacks and whites or mingling or being together or... Well, I tell you... Uh, all of the above. Uh, I based a lot of that on uh, my travel abroad. I find that um, people abroad, um, it's, the racial prejudice is there, but they have the feeling that uh, the United States has brought it to them, more or less. Say, for instance, uh, um, well, when my cousin was in World War II, he was stationed in Germany. And he came home from the war, and he said that the people in Germany ran behind him, thought he had a, a tail. And I was in, in high school, that was in the 40s, you know, World War II. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And I never thought I would go to Germany. But as I said, my first grandson was born in Nuremberg, so 
my daughter Mary moved there, I had to go. <laughs> Why do you laugh and laugh and laugh? About it? Yeah. I think the whole thing's ridiculous. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asking from a personal reason. My grand, my father was born in a small town in Itasca, Texas, mm -hmm. and we are Jewish. Mm -hmm. And everybody wanted to come in and see if my father had a tail. Everybody in town. See that? But I don't think it's funny. Well, now I'm saying at the time I laughed, I was a teenager in the 40s. Uh -huh. It was funny to me then, but now I'm bringing you up to date. When I went to Germany, it was 70. Let's see, Dominic was born in 78. I went in 77. Then I went back in 78 after he was born. Okay, they, uh, my daughter lived with a German family. She worked for the government. My son-in-law was in service. And they lived in a small village where some people had never seen blacks. But they didn't have that same opinion about the tales. See, times had changed, okay? Now, uh, now and then you'd run across a real old German that might uh, remember about the Second World War, and they, I mean, they would say something about, yeah, we thought you did, now we know you don't, you know, that sort what of about thing. this country? Uh, How is St. Louis in your mind? Well, I tell you, I've never been one to go south much. Now, as a young person, I didn't want to go south because friends I knew from south always talked about people had to sit certain places and go this. I said, not me, they'd just have to kill me. I'll sit where I want to if you take my money, because my life has been based on money. My mother told me that everything is about money. So if I'm going to pay to get on this bus, I'm going to sit where I want to sit. And that's what she meant when she said everything's about money. Yes, it is. Okay. Is that what she meant? If mm -hmm. you're going to pay, you should have a right. That's right. That's what we felt. Say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt that way. Say I grew it. up that way. That everything is about money, and if you take my money, then you should treat me equally or give me services that uh, you're supposed to render to anyone else for that amount of money. Now, that's what I feel about money, okay? Now, uh, I, otherwise, I feel I'm being cheated, okay? Now, in the South, my friends would tell me, these kids that came here from the South, I knew from history that Missouri was a borderline state, and a lot of people came here from the South and that sort of thing, although we did have some slavery selling that sort of thing here, but not like these people told me about their relatives being hung. I never saw a hunging, hanging. But I knew that happened. I read about it. But when these people moved into our neighborhood from the South, to me it was almost they were like foreigners because, well, they talk, they, their language was so different. And the favorite term that they used to use all the time would just make me fall out and laugh. And I reckon this very girl that's so hostile, she still uses that. She's been here 42 years. But she still says, I reckon. If she did, when they're saying these something, these people were in the boarding house. These people were no, no. These were people that I met as a child coming in from the south. Were they in your neighborhood? Yeah, they moved in here in this area. And so, of course, you know, blacks had to move in certain areas. Okay, so they came here because work was more plentiful than in the south and less segregation, although it still existed, but in a different way. All right, but these kids, you played with them. And they would uh, uh, use all these terms and everything. And just the thing that I still remember about is when you say we're going downtown to shop. They call that going uptown. You're going uptown? Can we go in the streetcar with you? They were fascinated by the streetcars. And uh, 
I got just because they could ride anywhere they wanted, or what? Well, they didn't have them where they came from. Okay. I don't know. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, at this time, we didn't have buses. Uh huh. So we had the streetcars. So you'd go downtown. I think it was a nickel. Or else on Sundays we'd ride to the end of the line, and that was a big thing. And get ice cream because see you weren't allowed in other neighborhoods. But on Sunday you could ride streetcar to the end of the line, go to Creepore or something. But anyway, they would say you going uptown to shop. Yeah. Uh huh. And then they would be afraid about the stores, whether they could go in or not. I said you got money. Yeah, you can go in there. You know, but you can't eat lunch there. Well, that didn't surprise them because they were accustomed to that, you know. But some places where they came from, they couldn't go into the stores and shop, even though they had the money. This puzzled me. <laughs> so, however, this was my experience with my own people coming from a different part of the country. How did you feel about them? How did you feel? Well, See, I've always been one that is my mother, a tickle box. I, I used to get tickled about everything until I realized the seriousness of it. You know, when I would tell my mother, then she would get angry. And she didn't like that, you know. She and didn't like, what, what was it she didn't like? She didn't like the stories I would tell her that the kids were saying that came from the South. Made you know. angry that Yeah, that, that they had been so mistreated. mistreated. Uh-huh. And... Then she would say that they're going to find that things may be somewhat better here, but you still have racial problems, but in a different way. You know, we weren't pushed off the streets and we could ride or do whatever like that. So it was a step up for them, you know. So I must. How, how do you feel about them? I must confess, I was. I did feel a little superior to them, because. I was always trying to tell them what they could do. And some of them yet are my friends, because we're all adults now, of course, and we have our children when I, then others moved away and went other places. But uh, uh, my mother-in-law uh, really shocked me about the South more than anybody else. She was a bitter person. Now, they came from the South. Now, as far back as I've traced so far, I've told you I'm doing family history. Most of my people stem from Missouri. Now, I don't know about three or four generations. They may have come from the South, but I'm finding that all blacks didn't come from the South, and neither did all blacks come from Africa. Of course, we know that now. Okay, then I know two families, where one family in particular, their family, as far as they know, were never slaves. They were born in Canada, and later on came here to the States. Different things happened. And then our friend got a friend from the islands, and they were not slaves. So, it's, but we were all black people. So they kind of spread us around a little bit. <laughs> so it's interesting, you know. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's it's really fascinating. So anyway, um, what was I telling you about these kids? Well, you were telling me you felt a little superior. Yeah, uh, that was a mistake. And then the thing about my mother-in-law. Oh yeah. She came from directly south, and by that I mean she came from in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Their family came from Tennessee. She was a terrific cook, and that was what she did when she was in the south. She cooked for these people, and her grandmother, they lived on, her grandmother lived on a plantation. All right, and they had a cousin who became involved with the, the daughter of the house person. 
the owner of the plantation. This person and this daughter, they were the same age, they played together, but yet this was the master's daughter. Okay, so then she told me that later on as they grew up, she could no longer play with him. Okay. Well that to me sounded now the boy. Yeah. Oh, she could oh. see he was he was the slave person. But oh. she was the daughter. Yeah, the daughter. So they stopped them from playing. Okay. But I didn't think anything about them, and she told me, because my aunt told me I couldn't play with boys after a certain age because I was a tomboy, and I'd wrestle with them and throw them down and get on top of them, beat them up and all that. She said, no, you don't do that. You'll become a young lady now. That stopped. So, but my mother-in-law lived down the street from us. She used to tell all these stories about the South. So she said, uh, after a while, people always watched things, and they saw them meeting in the wooded area, something like that. And she said that they caught him one day with her, and they hung him. And this was something that uh, she never got over. And she made up her mind she was going to leave the South. But until she did, she did a terrible thing. She uh, was cooking all the time, and she loved to bake cakes. She was a very good cook. She said she would uh, whip up the cake batter, and she was one of those southern people that dipped snuff. <laughs> Somebody could never understand, but anyway, she dipped this snuff. And she said she would get so bitter about her cousin that, they, you know, talked, everybody down through the family talked about this hand, that she would just spit her snuff into this batter. And she, her name was Esther. She said, oh, when she would serve dinner, dessert, she said, Esther, this is the best cake you ever made. And she would go back to the kitchen and just laugh. And she said somehow or another that gave her deep satisfaction. Well, my question to her was, why did uh, why did you leave there? Because, see, she was not a slave person. See, this hanging took place with her grandmother, folks, you know, the person behind her in generation. But she knew it was a story her grandmother had told her. Yes, uh-huh, and, and it was talked about because it was one of the aunt's children, somebody. That's, very, that's even more interesting. Why didn't she leave? Well, uh, I don't know, but then later on she did come here uh -huh. to live. And she, of course, she married a fellow from Tennessee, and he played with W.C. Handy's band. She said he came to St. Louis for music. How'd you find, how did you find the people that came here? Um, how did they adjust? Uh, you mean these and kids what, I grew up with? We, yes, what year are we talking about? What decade? Okay, let me see. Was I working at the restaurant then? I think I mentioned to you about the restaurant. Because yes. they moved, yeah, they lived right near the Fisher's restaurant. They come to my retiree meeting now, to this one family. Okay. Yeah, I have a retiree club. Right. Okay, they, uh, we were, I was in, I was 12 when I started the Fisher restaurant. So mm -hmm. it was 12 in my early teens. That's about 30, they 40. Mm-hmm, I'm 64, yeah, mm-hmm. So they uh, moved right in my block. Now my block was a one-block street, it was like a small town. Everybody knew everybody, and it only went from um, Rankin to Teresa, which is a block down, it was a block down from Grand, okay. So then uh, everybody knew those people and knew us, see, and they knew when anyone new came in that block, see. How, how did people 
Well, I'm going to tell you. Were they new kids on the block? Were they they were jealous? really new kids on the block. They were a fun thing because of their English. As I said about all this talk about a record and this and that and the other. And, uh, whereas we would say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We were taught that way, my cousin and I, that I was brought up with. But they would say, yasam, or yasa. Something like that, mm -hmm. you know. They they just had that southern twang. Did the people here want to help them, or was it more that they felt, as you said, a little bit superior, and it was nice for a change to be able to kind of look down on somebody else, or what? How did it work? Uh, well, I'm trying to think how. I don't know how the adults dealt with them. Here's what I do know. Most of them that I knew. The kids told us, you know, we played with the kids, told us that they would have a cousin or someone already living here. And they would tell them about a job or conditions, and they would move here because this person lived here already in the family and had some type of connection, maybe a job offer or something. And uh, a lot of times, I know this one family, they kind of, I thought, slept on top of each other more or less because... Uh, they had all, they had these people who lived there already, and then they came from the South, and then they didn't have a spare guest room or anything like that, unheard of, you know, but they slept on pallets or what have you, just anywhere, because they were glad to get here. Mm -hmm. And they would uh, more than likely have some inkling of how they were going to get, a, get work. Now, this was a talk in my house, that they were going to get some type of work. And a lot of those people did domestic work, and... But most of the men were laborers and had worked in those fields, you know, and uh, it just wasn't that sort of work here. But they did get something. And I do remember my uncle uh, saying that some of these people went to work. They had a uh, program for poor people. Um, I think Roosevelt started called WPA. My uncles worked in the WPA until later on things got better and then they worked to the foundries and what have you. But they got work. Now, those people would get work and work for little of anything, you know, because they were just wanting to get away from the South mainly, you know. But anyway, now, the kids' reaction, as I said before, I was one of the ringleaders with that. I was so tickled at everything they said. I just hung on their speech, you know, and I'd get so tickled about it. And uh, the kids at school would sometimes make fun of them. You know how when the teacher would call on them and they would... Uh, the way they would pronounce the words and the, the southern twang and all that, and of course teachers would get after you about it. How would the teachers treat them? Well, as far as I could could remember, um, I think they were treated uh, fairly. Helped along. Yeah, uh -huh, especially with the language. You know, not language, but the, the pronunciation, that sort of thing. They helped them. Tell me about the relationship that you had with the boarders and how the rooming house, the house. Worked. Yeah, and, and the railroad men. Well, that was fascinating to me because I was an only child. I had this cousin. She was an introvert. She would go up to that and play by herself. I was always in and out of those rumors' rooms. I had to know my aunt didn't like it too much, but uh, she was in the house, so she kept watch on that. Now, there was a lady, I don't remember her name, but I don't know if you've seen these, I call them street peddlers. This lady had a big 
wicker basket, and she would, she cooked in her own room. Now, all of them didn't eat in our kitchen. My aunt, you know, did boarding, but all of them didn't. She rented the room. But she did her own cooking, and she had a big oven. And she would get long pans, sometimes I'd go to the store with her, uh, bacon skins. Uh, have you seen slab bacon? Mm -hmm. She would get the skins. Okay. And uh, in those days, they tied up in big bundles. And it just fascinated me to this day. I get real tickled when I see these bacon skins in this, these little bags because they're not good. Hers were the ones, <laughs> the originals. <laughs> she would get those, and she had a long pan, and she would bring them home and untie them and lay them out. And then she would put them in the oven, and, of course, they would get real crispy. So when they would cool, she would let me help her break them up. And she had little bags. And she would put those in there, and she had bottles of hot sauce, and then she had her basket. Uh, it was a big basket, wicker basket with a handle. And she would go out to these taverns at night and sell these skins. And, of course, I ate all I could because <laughs> well, I was helping her, you know. What did she sell them for? Oh, God, I don't know. I was too little. I don't know what she's selling for. But so she made her money. She was that's what she did. She yeah, that's what she did. And, and see, people did a lot of that in those days because nobody bothered them, you know. Because in, in the neighborhoods where I lived, the, um, the ice cream men would come. Then they had the bin with the hot tamales. And uh, then all this kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm, like push carts. What, what, yeah. what other kinds of things? Um, oh, we had uh, the vegetable men. They were mostly Italian people that would uh, bring uh, fresh vegetables. And uh, you would go out. They had a bell. They would ring. And you'd, oh, mine would say, oh, go down out in the yard now. You couldn't leave the yard nowhere. Go out in the yard and tell them I'll be down, you know. And she'd take off her apron and go down and bring the money out. And uh, she'd tell you what she wanted, greens or whatever they had on the wagon, you know. Okay, then there would be the ice men. See, when I was a little girl, they didn't have refrigerated in our house. They had a, uh, an ice box, and they would get big squares of ice and put in there. And then they had an uh, ice pick that they would chip, you know, and make cold drinks or whatever. They come every day. Yeah, the ice men, just because in the summer it was so hot, you know. And uh, then some people had, what are they, I don't know what they call them, but they set them out in their window to keep meats. I don't know. Some kind of box? Yeah, in the windowsill, like. I don't know what you call it. I don't recall that. But anyway, uh, all these people, it was always a parade of folk coming up and down the street with bells ringing and this and that and the other, you know. And uh, people would come out. And you got things at the store, but these people were just... Uh, uh, folks that you traded with, and uh, my aunt always thought the vegetables were fresher than at the grocery store because too many people handle them. They were ticky about people handling their food. But anyway, uh, they would uh, come, and then my uncle drove for City Ice and Frill Company. I don't know to this day if that was anything wrong, but sometimes he would drop off ice at the house. And then we, his boss, let us use the truck when we would go south to picnics, that is Carondelet Park. And at that time, blacks lived all down in there, and uh, they would have a picnic, and you would, people would, oh, picnics were wonderful. I wish we could do it today, but I guess we could. They would have trucks, and my uncle would have trucks. They'd get straw, 
and put in the truck. And then they'd have these big tin tubs because we had outdoor toys and you had tin bathtubs anyway. You'd get those and they'd chop all this ice up in there and put watermelon in there and put soda all in there. And all that would be loaded up. Of course, they will have barbecue the day before. And see, we had a little barbecue business. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that was right over here on Laclede Avenue. Was it family-owned? I mean, yeah, well, it, it wasn't um, a restaurant per se. It was, I think I mentioned we had a little frame house that had a huge running yard. And then in the back was this outhouse. I think I told you about my aunt falling there. Right. Okay. So they had a stove. And that house was on? Laclede Avenue. Okay. About big as this entertainment center was a stove. And it sat outside of here. It was a huge, huge oven thing that let down, uh, the door let down, and then there was a tray there. And they would put their meats in there and smoke all that, you know. And that was in this yard. Then on one side, they'd put a couple of tables and chairs. In those days, didn't nobody bother you about license and really legitimately establishing a business. But we made good money. Because people came up and down Laclede Avenue. Uh, there were all the little Jewish dry goods stores. They called them dry goods stores. <laughs> and then they, they would come for lunch. Then they had the kosher houses. Well, they call them kosher now, but then it was poultry houses. And they would come down to get barbecue. The teachers from the schools and the different people, anybody would come along if they were driving along and some people would get off the streetcar and come and get our barbecue. How did the black people and the Jewish people get along with each other? Wonderfully. Well, I told you they were Jewish, but we don't have to get along wonderfully. I mean, tell me. At that time, they did. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I'm brutally frank. <laughs> uh, they, the only thing my mother thought that they would cheat you at the stores, you know, mm -hmm. about your change or what have you. Of course, I had two schools that thought about that. My mother wasn't well educated, but she was always just suspicious anyway, and then she was very ticky about meats and what have you. And there were butcher shops at that time. They didn't have no self-service stuff, you know, like we do now. But everything on Laclede Avenue and Market were owned by Jewish people and some of those houses. But as I told you, you didn't own the houses. You would rent a full house, three stories, and they would be rent, rented from, most of the property was owned by Jewish people, and you'd rent those houses, and you could make your money by sub-renting it in the rooms like we had. And that was okay with them? That was an understood thing. It was If people did that, uh -huh. see? And now that I think, I don't know what my aunt would have done, yeah. uh, really, because she wasn't a working type. She had a bad heart. And she, rooming houses were the thing. That's just the way things They didn't have no apartments. All right. So now here's the thing. The hiring, all these stores, dry goods stores and stuff, the hiring of the help was always black. The Jewish people always hired black. Now, the only other people in their stores would be their relatives. You know, like if they had a son, mm -hmm. a daughter, they would be brought into the business, which was good. They would be learning the business. Now, those poultry houses, I was terrified of them, but my mother and them didn't want chickens in the refrigerator. Well, it wasn't a refrigerator, in the icebox. But uh, they would buy uh, the chickens at the poultry houses, and 
I would go with them sometime, but I was terrified of chickens. And they would be alive in these cages and stuff, you know. And then they would say, which one do you think you want? And they would feel them and tell them that this seemed like this would be a good fat one with a plump breast and all this stuff and good Sunday dinner. Because in those days, chicken was from about that. Well, what they did, they got the live chickens, and then they, at home, had a some kind of thing. They put them in, they put them in the yard. Now, that would be purchased like on about a Thursday, if they were going to have this chicken for Sunday dinner or what have you. Now, I have to tell you about our household food, because there were so many different types of food and so many different cooks. Now, my aunt cooked for everybody. So she brought the chicken home, and she they, kept it in a something in the yard. Yeah, they would put water cage. and stuff out there. Yeah, like a cage. Okay. So when they killed it, it would be fresh. Yeah, that was my uncle's job. If he was coming to dinner, he had to kill the chicken. And they would wring its neck off. They ring, And then it would just hop everywhere with no head. And see, then they would, after that, they'd bring it upstairs and put it in the kitchen sink. And sometimes it would still be doing that. No head. And see, I couldn't stand that. And I don't care how brown and pretty he looked, I didn't want it when he brought it to the table, see. So anyway, my mother was good for a bologna sandwich. If you didn't like what was cooked, or else you go over there and eat with your cousin, she might live on the second floor. It was three stories high. I'd go down to her house. Now, she cooked for the Hill Bend Lumber Company, okay? She was a fancy cook. But her favorite dish, people had these Sunday dinners, was roast pork, candied sweet potatoes, and whatever else she wanted with it. What's her name? And she cooked everything real fancy. She had all kind of fancy salads and this and that. Nothing plain like sliced tomatoes and lettuce. That's plain. And she'd have a fancy tossed salad with everything and some things I'd never seen and whatnot. And I don't want. Anytime I wanted something different, I'd go down below. But anyway, now my mother said, no, she cooks too much pepper and too much this and that and pork. My mother didn't care for pork. My mother was veal and beef and chicken lady. But she didn't, wasn't a big cook. She did bake very well, but she didn't bake any breads or anything. My aunt was a bread specialist and a prune whip specialist and also... You're talking about the railroad men. You're going to get into that. All right. Now, these railroad men did their own thing. That is, they were traveling out of town, of course. They came in at various times. Now, I used to remember somebody saying something about the Rock, Rock Island Lions. And they used to make up a song about that. There was one that used to sing um, and play a, is it a harp or harmonica? Yeah, I was fascinated with that. So I would always go to his room, and then I wanted to hear these stories about these people. Because at that time, the well-to-do people rode the railroad a lot. Of course, everybody did. 
they didn't have uh, a lot of flying going on. So, so it was these men were. Would you say they were glamorous to you, or they were oh, exciting? Oh yeah. You yeah. I wanted to know more about the, the people on these trains and what they did and what was their work. What was their work? Now they usually, when they came in, they had money, because uh, they used to tell about tips these people yes. gave them. Yeah, that was big money. I don't think they were paid a lot. It was just that they earned extra money and stuff like that. I always said, I'm going to ride on the train, and uh, I'm going to tip people too. You know, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. You know, I was just always a big dreamer about that. Because later on, I did do that. But anyway, they. I like the idea about the food that they served. Some of them were cooks, see, and they gave recipes and different things. And my aunt was one like she liked to experiment with different recipes and a lot of stuff. And some would go in the kitchen and tell her. And sometimes, if she liked them well, she was ticky about the kitchen. She said, I'm, she's like a Chinaman, you're in the kitchen, she might kill you, <laughs> you know, chop your head off. But she would let one or two that she liked come in the kitchen and maybe cook that day if they were in town. Did it matter to you if one was a cook or if one was a waiter or if one was a, worked at a Pullman? I mean, was there a difference between that or was that, were they just all railroad men? Was there a status? Well, as as there was a status because uh, I learned later that cooks always made more money. Because uh, uh, even now, a chef makes good money. We don't think of it as such, you know, and we don't come in contact with them because they're in the kitchen, but they make good good, good bucks. But uh, these men who served the food, to me, was kind of, well, it wasn't slavery, but I didn't like the idea of the serving too much. And I wasn't too particular about that. But then, as I grew old and I found out that uh, though that was their livelihood, and then those tips really made these people have this extra money to do yes. whatever they wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> okay, where did you buy your clothes? How did you get your clothes? Somebody make them? Well, your, well my aunt used to make my clothes when I was little. That's the one in the bill, though. Yeah, right? uh-huh. She, she did that. But what did you and your mother do? Well, we just uh, bought stores at the uh, close of the dry goods stores from the Jewish people. Did you did you ever go downtown to Sticks or Famous or something like well, that? Well, my did mother wasn't particular about down there because now I tell you we did buy coats down there. Coats. Uh huh. Because uh, my mother was sticky about that. She felt that um, in the spring or summer, well, which I'm learning is true, you need to buy your coat off season or what have you. See, the neighborhood dry goods stores they didn't have the uh, you know, the turnover or the quality of coats and things like the big stores. So mainly my coats would come from downtown and my mother always felt that you ought to have two coats, one for school and one for church. Right now my daughter says, don't ever say that. <laughs> you know, because I grew up, you know, like that. You know, that coat, you didn't put that on until Sunday. You know. Did you have toys? Yes, but I didn't have a lot. Now, there was a problem there about the toys because my cousin, who was kind of dumped off on us, I yeah, think I told you about her mother. Well, see, with her mother I mean, not. The impressions that she had on you were the impact of you know, what, what it was to have her there. Yeah, well, I thought it, when she, you know, came with us that it, she was going to be like having a sister because I was an only child. And my mother, I was born late. My mother was in her 40s when I was born. I was what they call a change of life baby, you know. 
But this, when this cousin came to live, and I thought, oh, we were going to have a good time. We'd run up and down the attic, and nobody's looking. We'd slide down the banisters. You know, that was forbidden. But she was an introvert. She still is to this day. She stayed up in the attic, or else she would go somewhere in another part of the house. But she had all kinds of toys. Now, as I look back, the reason she had all this was because her mother was kind of a wayward woman. And my aunt, which was her mother, did not want her to have this child out in the world when she was with all these different fellows. So they took the child, you know, took her in with us. But she would always come back with gifts. I think her conscience bothered her with different dials. And then these fellows that she was involved with would bring things. Okay, so now I think I told you my mother was a laundress, and she didn't have much money, and she, once or uh, twice a year, oh, I remember where a lot of the toys came from for me. Uh, they had down at the keel, uh, Dickman. Did you ever hear of Dickman, the mayor of Dickman? Yeah. They would have, yeah, uh-huh, they would have a big toy thing at once a year for Christmas for poor children. I'd get things there, and then of course the church. How, how did you feel when you did you know it was for poor children? Did you or, or did you? Well, it was widely advertised on the radio. But did, did you? How did it make you feel to go in there and get a toy? Were you happy about it? Were you excited? No, I, I was excited, but later on I I felt uh, it made me feel that. Uh, well, everybody was poor, but there were degrees of poorness, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Some people were poorer than others. Tell me about the degrees of poorness. Well, uh, even now, there are some people, as mine would say, are dirt poor. Mm -hmm. They have to scrap for food and stuff. They don't have anything. Mine say, like, scrapping the birds scrap for food. Uh, then uh, they were like, to me, like those people who came from the South. They didn't have anything. They came here with just whatever they had to get mm -hmm. away and come here. They were scrapping. But we weren't scrapping. We were poor, but we were just a step ahead of them. That it wasn't a big thing, you know. We had just about what we wanted in our house to eat or what have you. But then there were others. One girl in particular, her family had a maid. I had I just could not believe this until I started playing with her. This is on the same block on Walnut Street. Yeah, on Walnut Street. Uh I found out that some of these people would put several salaries together and live well. You know what I mean? Big families. Say, for instance, everybody in the family worked. Well, those people had a higher scale of living. Although they made low income, but they had so many checks coming together. You understand what sure. I'm saying? Well, this family had a maid. And uh, I can see her now because I, I was always going over to their house. I couldn't get over there. In the first place, I liked them because they were Catholic. The second place, when I went there and her mother wasn't home, my mother said, you can't play at anyone's home house when their mother's not home. I went there, and this, I forget her name. My cousin called her name now. Is it Miss Sadie or whatever? She said, Miss Sadie's here. So I said, oh, I thought that was their grandmother. But this was their maid. She would come at least about three days a week she ironed and cleaned their house. They had a three-story house, but that was their home. Nobody else lived in that home but them, whereas ours was had tenants. But they had all, let's see, her father worked, her mother worked, and there was an uncle there, and he worked, and they did factory work. 
Now she did what they call peace work, and in those days they made more money. And she worked down on Washington somewhere where at Our that time. Yeah, you know, at that time people made pretty good money. And I don't know what he did. I can't recall. He just died recently. But however, they dressed well and they he went to work in a suit and she was well dressed and I always watched them. Because <laughs> they were different. Because they were a step above everybody else. Now, everybody dressed on Sunday to go to church, or if it's a funeral, an occasion. But they dressed every day. So they, they really caught my attention. And what did you see when you watched them? Did you see things that you adapted? or? Yeah, I wanted to dress every day. I wanted to be in best clothes, not wait till Sunday. And then when you were there playing, Oh, Miss, I think her name was Sadie. But anyhow, this, this lady who cleaned and ironed and everything, sometimes if she was there, she would cook too. She would cook some things that, uh, with all the different cooking that went on in our house that I hadn't seen, different vegetables and arrangements and things. Okay, and they always had tablecloths on their table. And she would be there, and she would get her hat and coat and get ready to leave around for something like that in the evening. And Dorothy, my girlfriend, and her brother, and she had a sister, they were taught to set that table and had those napkins out and everything. And they had a lot of company, too. They entertained. Now, in those days, very few blacks had cars. There were always cars pulling up at their house. They were having company. You don't remember their name? Yeah, the Hendersons. Oh. I mean, the, the Hennings, the Hennings family. Yeah, he just died. So um, I, we called him Mr. Doc. Mr. Big, what? Mr. Doc. That was a nickname. Doc. D-O-C. Mr. Doc. Doc. Was, but he wasn't a doctor. No, no. That was just a nickname. I don't know yet why they called what him that. What was his first name? I don't know. Oh, yes, I do. Because I found out since he passed, it was Clarence Hennings. Okay. And the mother's name was Lillian Hennings. And she was one of these women that was heavy set, but well proportioned, if you know what I mean and had the most beautiful hair and dimples you ever did see. She, she had the real big dimples where you just felt like you could stick your finger in there, you know what I mean? This, huh? You were very impressed by these people. Yeah, because they, their, their lifestyle impressed me. Well, did you talk about them with your mother or your aunt? Yeah, uh-huh. Well, well, I tell you. I did How not, did they perceive them, like you? Or uh, well, listen, here's what uh, my aunt, uh, was very suspicious. She said that um, there was something going on wrong there. Well, what it was later on, and since I, when I became grown, I found this uncle was a gay person. But in those days, they didn't dare breath that. You know that. Now it's out of the closet. But anyway, he was a very handsome, tall fellow, and he was forever putting something on his hair in little waves and having a, a stocking cap. You ever hear men wearing stocking cap mm -hmm. and everything? And when he talked, he would go like this, you know, with all these little... But I do remember men, black men... Holding their hair down uh, at the time. Yeah, with a woman's stocking. Yeah, that's what I he was always... That. And yes. that never came off until he was ready to leave uh -huh. the house. And see, now since I've gotten grown and found out later on what they were talking about, all this company was his friends, these oh. gay men coming in there. And see, I don't know what it is about them, 
They had two things, and I found this to be a fact now. They all had talent, and they all had money. Have you found a gay person that didn't have talent of some type, creative in some way? Well, I'm sure that there it's are. Something it's something about. Just, it's just those, maybe the people that we know that are gay, other people are gay. And they just, but I mean, the people in the arts feel free enough now to, to come out. Yeah. But I, I don't know. But oh, <coughs> let me ask you something. You had whites on your block, did you tell me? Not on that block. No, no. They were over here on Shannon. Did you play with those white children? We played with them, I would say, occasionally only. But more than likely, somebody would call somebody in. You couldn't play with them. Uh, I recall that as long as we played, see, we would roller skate. And we'd come down our block on roller skates into their block, which was on Shanning. And they would be out roller skating, and they'd skate along with us, and we'd laugh and play. But invariably, somebody, the mother or somebody, would call them, come inside. White and black. White mother and a black mother, all both? I mean, with, or with uh, just the black mothers? Well, this was the white mothers that would call their children oh. inside, you know. But, well, even to this day, I feel if you leave children alone, children will play. Yes. It's just the parents keeps on, you know, with this stuff. And you felt it was because you were black, not because it was dinner time? Or no, no. Time. It was definitely because you're black. Because, see, they lived at one end of the area, and we lived about two blocks over. Mm -hmm. See, but when you started getting on your roller skates, you just skate all around. So you never um, were in their home, and they were never Oh, home. no. No, forbidden. Okay. No, no. no didn't you do said that. something about your mother had... There were 15 children. Did I misunderstand that on the tape? No, that was my mother-in-law. Oh, your mother-in-law. Okay. My husband was the youngest of 15. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, uh, humor. Okay. How, how did humor help? Did, 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 was humor, how was humor used? Well, uh, always there were a lot of jokes about the racial situation. Is that what you mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every time I get think about Grand Avenue, I think about this was a fact, but they would make a joke if somebody were late coming home from somewhere. You better get in because, you know, uh, uh, what did they say? I don't know what they would say. They didn't say the white man, but that's what they meant. Yeah. I but they said there, uh, if you, if you let him catch you, it's going to be too bad. But what they were saying, the restriction was Grand Avenue was the borderline. It seemed like Grand Avenue has played a big part in my life, but it was the borderline. And uh, it, uh, if you went past there, this was before blacks moved into the Bill area. You could, you might be subject to arrest. What are you talking about? What years now? Because the bill was well, pretty early. Uh, no. Um, let me see. We lived on Walnut. Well, when I was in uh, 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 high grade school, going into high school, you you just couldn't do that. That was just understood that you had to be off of that borderline. You had to be in your own area. I was in elementary school. Yeah. And then later on, of course, it changed. See, and then uh, gradually, and even when, like when my aunt brought their house on Mathet, uh, there were still whites living there, but they gradually moved away. 
but uh, uh, for a long time, uh, when I'd go out there in the summer, there were always whites there in that block. And uh, they gradually moved out, but then more and more blacks moved in. And uh, then different streets opened up. You know, then no longer was Grand the uh, borderline. Did, did um, you all have a radio? Oh yeah, we everybody had radio. So did you listen to radio programs? Or? Oh yeah, that's a big joke too. You know they were real big. You could uh -huh. sit on them. I'd land. Now they had those soaps then. This was the beginning of the soaps. You remember about that, Helen Trent mm -hmm. and Our Girl Sunday? Oh. Yeah, you had to keep quiet. They'd kill you. My aunt, you know, because she didn't work and that was this this listen. <laughs> Our Girl Sunday and then let's see, Colinos toothpaste. <laughs> You remember that? <laughs> yes, listen, honey, let me tell you. Yes, Lord, I tell you. So that was the big thing, and mine would be in her rocking chair. She always had sewing and stuff going on. And uh, be quiet now. Story's coming on. So now they're um, with the soaps on TV. Now I never would get into them. Did you have heroes or models? Was there somebody that you... When I grew up? Yes. Teachers. Teachers fascinated me. And my mother always wanted me to be a teacher, and I didn't really want to be one, but I was fascinated with the knowledge they had and how they got it. And a black teacher was really something to look up to, because you knew she had struggled hard to get what she had, and uh, she had to make a delivery course. I you think, really thought about that in those days? Oh, yeah. I, I admired my teachers. I really did. Did somebody tell you that they had struggled hard? Well, I knew that. I knew that uh, uh, always in the system they had tried to keep blacks from getting an education. Everybody knew that from slavery on up. I mean, uh, see, uh, this is the way I look at the whole thing. If you, if I keep my foot on your neck, I have complete control of you and you don't know what I know. You understand? As long as you don't know what I know, you can make it. There have been people who died just to learn, and I always knew that. I didn't learn about how they died at first, but I knew that it was tough if they wanted to, as my mother said, make something of themselves. You keep your foot on my neck, and you keep me from knowing what you know. Then I, you're in, I'm in control of you. You're in control. That's, that's the whole idea. All right, so this is the way, um, and my aunt would say all the time, Edna May, keep reading, just keep on. And sometimes she would want me to read to her whatever I was studying at the time. And then on the other hand, my mother would say, well, you can read all you want, this is fine. She didn't knock it, but she said, uh, use common mother, mother wit with it. If you don't have that, then you will become an educated fool. And I know now what she means by educated fools, because there are so many. I know some people who are teachers who just will not uh, get out and vote. I mean, I jumped on two in my family about that one election with the school board coming up taxing. I said, look here, don't you call here about the school board election because you know, and I know, I worked City Hall 27 years, you know that as soon as that passes, you'll get your little raise. But there are other issues 
and you have the right to vote. Get out there and vote at all times, not just because the school board's issues are coming up. Mm-hmm. I think you're being utterly selfish. And I think you should be exposed to your teachers, I mean to your children, when you get in the classroom. And one day I said, I feel like coming to the schoolroom and, and telling the teachers that the children that you don't vote every time. <laughs> don't do that. Did you have an opportunity um, to get out and do things in the city? I mean, did you ever, you went to the park, Carnivalet Park, and mm -hmm. for picnics, but um, was there an opportunity to ever go to Forest Park? Oh, yeah, we had the school park? picnics. The school picnics were uh, mostly held at Forest Park, because mm -hmm. if you lived on this side, that is North Side, North. you know, Forest Park. North. Uh huh. And uh, then uh, what was that park? I don't know. Somewhere south, we would go. Other than Prondelet. Did you ever go to the zoo? Oh Lord, all the time. Mainly, well, I took myself. See, uh, the streetcars, you know, like I said, you could go out and for a nickel, I think it was, get the streetcar and go to the zoo. I love to go to the zoo. Well, what else? Tell me about the kinds of things that you and your friends might have done or your, your mother did anything with you. Or oh, okay. Now, my mother didn't do a lot with me. And as I look back, I think it was her age, too, because, see, she was in her 40s when I was born, so when I started really getting up, she was much older, and she had some health problems. And uh, my aunts were very encouraging. They played more of a part in my life than anything because I had two that went on each end, my father's sister and then my mother's sister, that always kept me really pumped that was, up. It was lovely for you. It was. It was. And uh, I just loved them dearly. I loved my mother, but I didn't see a lot of her because when she'd come in from work, she wanted to be quiet. She was resting, and now I realized she worked on that mangle, and it was very hard for her. And uh, she was leery of people. She didn't want to go a lot of places, but to church. She to church ask, you to I'm death. I'm interrupting you this interview. Okay. But I have, I have other questions. Mm -hmm. You said in the first interview that, that her job was hard working on the mangle. Yes. The ironing the clothes. Did she tell you it was hard? Or I saw that. You went over and saw Let me tell you, you what happened there. Okay. Uh, during one time when I wanted to work, see, I always wanted to work and have money. So I uh, decided that she told me once, she said in the summer when school was out, uh, I was starting in high school then, she said uh, I wanted to get some new clothes and stuff. She said that she would talk to her boss and see if I could come over and work while school, you know, in the summer. So this laundry was on Laclede Avenue and they would have this door open and because I don't think they had an air conditioner in those days. You know workers would come outside for their break and then these little peddling people would come by with cold sodas and stuff and they'd have their break outside. So she said come over and talk to the boss. So I was hired. So they put me on one of those uh, uh, mango things to show me how to fold these sheets. In those days everybody had white sheets, you know, and they had to be starched. Unheard of to have sheets washed at home. But anyway, uh, the sheets were come out of this thing, you know, and then you had to catch them some kind of way. Then one person would catch one end, you catch them, and they did it so fast, you know, and you dare not drop one. I almost would drop them. See, and it, they would bring them together, and then that person would walk with you one end another, and by the time they walked back, they had that phone, and they'd go on a big, long slab table-like thing, and then you'd go right back. You would just almost, the people were on, well, it was an assembly line. Let me tell you, my little hands, 
when that 12 o'clock whistle blew, that was the break. And everybody go outside. My mother said, you're kind of slow, but you'll catch on. I said, I'm going home, mother. Uh-uh. I walked out of there, and I went home to my aunt. She said, well, you want to make money. That's one of the ways that your mother does it. I said, I don't know how mother does that. And so she said, well, don't worry about it. You just keep on with your books. You can do something different. Yeah. I couldn't stand that. So it gave you a healthy mm -hmm. respect for Oh, yeah. 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 And see, her hands would be all red and everything. That heat, see, and then that starch, those sheets. People starch their sheets and things in those days, you know. you told me the name of that? National Laundry. National Laundry. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> How did people empty those tubs that they bathed in? Where did they empty them? It would be heavy. Let me see. How did that happen? <laughs> I well, I do know, uh, huh. I know when I was little, my aunt would, uh, if my uncle was there, she would call him to come get the tub because he couldn't lift it. be too much water in it. That's right. So, uh, but what they did, but I don't know. Okay, I'm waiting for somebody to tell me. Cause I, well, listen, I like, you brought up something I could tell you. I, I couldn't tell you that. Before. Really? What did they tell you? They don't know either. Ah! <laughs> well, in France, they throw it out the water, out the window. Yeah. I don't know okay. where it went. Maybe they did that. Um, one question, harking back to the first interview when we were talking about the hair and the white, uh, the um, uh, straightening and uh, different kinds of hair. Oh. Did people want to straighten it, one, because it was easier to handle, two, because they liked it straight, um, three, because they were trying to be as white as they could, or what? Tell me, talk to me about now, that kind of thing. Now, uh, let me see. My opinion of it was it, it made you look more attractive. But why, and it was why easier. did it make you look more attractive? What's attractive mean? I mean well, to me, I think the number. It, hmm? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying to. Why? Why did? Why did straight hair, when that wasn't natural? I mean, we all try and change. People have their nose fixed. So oh, yeah, mm -hmm. People are, mm -hmm. you know, doing all kinds of things, having their hair straightened, mm -hmm. white and black. But, but, what was the? Um, what was it, the impetus behind that? All right, now let me tell you what I think about it. It was number one thing then to me was it was easier to handle because when black hair would get real wet, like if you'd go swimming or something like that, it had a tendency to really tighten up and you couldn't comb it mm -hmm. until you put some heat to it. I mean, you could, but they'd pull your head out. You could hear kids crying, it hurt. Okay, so when they pull, put uh, 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 straightened it, then they could just comb it and nicely. Some oil on it or uh, whatever. Uh -huh. they, well, they had to straighten it with oil. You know, because see, black hair doesn't have moisture. It doesn't, it doesn't have much moisture. There's more to the difference in races than the skin color. It's uh, the texture of the hair. And if you look around, you very seldom see real elderly dark people that are wrinkled. 
Have you noticed that? And I don't think you see many uh, dark people that uh, with faces broken out either. The no. Reflections are, are no. very. My mother had beautiful skin. I I would never have but I mean, skin like she had. She never he, used he makeup at all. Stuff like that. She, makeup wasn't allowed in our house. We they, my aunt was so strict with all of that. Now she had um, so freckles. Is there, is there, what else are we talking about? The hair. Well, Nowadays, the hair, I think a lot of it, the younger people seem to want their hair to be more flowing and more straight and more white-like. Not the skin, we're talking about hair now. But all those afro kind of... Uh, that went out. Well, not those little tiny cornrows. Oh, that's something different. That, see, that, that started with this um, African thrust, you know, when I think now when people started visiting Africa more. You see, you had this uh, great, I call it the great rush to go to Africa, to go back to the motherland and find out from when she came and all this stuff and why. I think that came up with roots. Remember Alex Haley? Mm -hmm. And people really began to delve into that. I know some of my friends who have been to Africa several times. Firstly, they wanted to go to find their roots, you know, and then they wanted to relate to those people by reverting back to that hair. Now this is my opinion, mm -hmm. you see. Okay, and the younger people really have latched on to it, but I don't like it <laughs> myself, you know. So you're saying that people now, aside from the African look, mm -hmm. uh, want their hair straighter? Yeah, free-flowing. Free-flowing. Even when your hair was straightened with a hot iron, it would never move. I guess I'm trying to find out, does, does wanting to be look or like or have to do with anything white? Well, the flowing of the hair is definitely white. Definitely white. <laughs> Yours is cut short now. But mine, mine wouldn't flow anyway. There's a, I think there's a certain white person that everybody's trying to look like. It's, it's the hair flow. Uh, see, uh, in my mind, whether uh, it's black or white, the, some white people are still trying to. Yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. Now, see, boys would talk about girls' hair. Boys would crucify you about your hair. I don't care how poor we were; we I had to go to the hairdresser because they would talk about you. What were they saying? They were saying, uh, "Oh, your hair snappy." They didn't like that, and they couldn't touch it. But if you went to the hairdresser and had it straightened, then it would be different. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Your hair is very soft looking. Well, see, I've been under the system. I've had perms for 20 years. And I haven't, uh, uh, oh, I haven't had a straightened comb on my hair by 20, oh, longer than that. You 30 use, years. You, use the word, you haven't had what? A hot straightening comb on my hair. So what's the system? The system is the perming system where when the perms started coming out for black hair. See, always uh, you could only press black hair with a hot iron, a comb, to make it straight, right? Yes. All right, later on, they made perm where it would straighten black hair. That took, stopped a lot of this hot comb pressing because beauticians, black beauticians, went to school to learn about perms. And those who didn't learn about perms lost their business.
because people didn't want no hot comb on their head, ducking and dodging, because that would burn a lot of times. You might find the tip of your ears burned, you know, especially if they got, you know how in the beauty shop people gossip and get to talking and laughing. It's operated that she might burn. Oh, I'm so sorry, dear, you know. It put a little petroleum jelly on there or something, but you shook your ears burned, you know. Some people were sued. So it, it could be a dangerous thing, you know. Now, I used to make money doing that at home. Some girls, uh, I would uh, tell them to come to the house.